see you this um, Tuesday morning. It's only Tuesday, and it sure feels like it's Wednesday already, but it's only Tuesday. Busy, busy week. I'd appreciate your prayers this week. This is a, an extra busy week. Um, I've got uh, lots of meetings scheduled, uh, lots of meetings, very, very little margin this week in the schedule at all, and uh, so I appreciate your prayers. I appreciate your prayers for an effective and successful week. Uh, that's what I need. Uh, I pray specifically uh, as uh, we uh, have classes going on all over the state uh, for New England Bible College. And I'm the tech guy at this point in time until we get some of our technological issues. I'm the person that has to hunt those down and make sure that those things 
are fixed and working because we offer most of our classes via Zoom. It's a, it's a hybrid model. Uh, it is a blended model between uh, live in-room peoples and uh, people in the peanut gallery. That's what I uh, affectionately call people who are uh, out there in the Zoom room somewhere. And, uh, you know, to, to have that uh, working for several different professors at several different locations with lots of different equipment um, is, is uh, it isn't necessarily easy. It could be easy, uh, but when you have many layers to it, it's a little bit more challenging. So I, I appreciate your prayers for success and making all that work for everybody. Uh, every time we think, oh, we're ready to go, then I discover, oh, here's one more thing we have to correct or change or add or one little, you, know, you go on to, uh, you know, the standard person, like if I'm doing a Zoom meeting with you, it's easy, but when you have lots of different people and you're trying to have security measures and things of that nature, it's a little bit more complex and lots of little toggle switches. You have to make sure you don't hit the wrong one. And anyway, just pray for success there. Uh, I've got numerous meetings the next few days, uh, not not today, but tomorrow and Thursday, uh, doing what we call friend raising. We're raising friends for the ministry of New England Bible College. And uh, a little bit later on this morning, I'm very excited to uh, be interviewing and making a video of uh, a local pastor who is a New England Bible College graduate, Ian uh, Jewett, I almost said Ian Shear. Uh, that's a, he's a different pastor, but Ian Jewett, uh, also a New England Bible College graduate, and uh, going to interview him at nine o'clock this morning. Uh, that'll be a recorded interview. Should have just done it here with all of you. Maybe we'll do that some morning. Uh, Six o'clock for some people is a little early to come into my office and and do a, an interview like that. But um, pray for for that. Pray for uh, tomorrow. Uh, Several different meetings lined up uh, with uh, former friends and new friends of doing the Bible College uh, in the next couple of days. So just pray for stamina and success uh, that will glorify the Lord. We are in John chapter 2, uh, again, following along in this book, The Harmony of the Gospels, uh, which is a book... Uh, that harmonizes, that, that places things in their uh, context of order and when they uh, when they happen. Uh, and the synoptic gospels, again, synoptic are Matthew, Mark, and Luke because they tell many of the same uh, stories uh, and whatnot in the same order. John tends to tell some different things as some other aspects gives, gives a little bit different aspect to things. So in John chapter two is the very next thing. Yesterday we looked at the calling of Jesus first followers and some evangelistic evangelistic lessons. Um, yesterday afternoon, I had the opportunity to sit down with an organization called Engage 360. Uh, we may try to have them here in March to do some uh, apologetics and evangelism training. Um, for a Veracity conference, uh, so I'll keep you posted on that. Uh, we've never done a, what we call a Veracity conference, but I think we ought to start doing Veracity conferences, so uh, I'm excited about the opportunity to have uh, Engage 360 with us uh, perhaps in March uh, and start offering regular uh, training events like that to our church and other churches 
as well. So very excited uh, about that prospect. John chapter 2 is where we pick up today. This is kind of the next in sequence. Jesus has called those first followers, those first four followers uh, that, that begin following after him. And now uh, a third day, it says, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Um, now, just just the idea that, that here he is, he has taken the time to go to a wedding. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, uh, referencing back to uh, the earthly relationships that Jesus possessed, and that on the third day a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee, Jesus' mother there. Then also Jesus took his disciples. They had been invited to the wedding. Now, probably in that day they, they didn't send out uh, meeting uh, invitations or wedding invitations like we would send out today. You know, I mean, they there may have been months. In fact, there's there's a very uh, interesting story about uh, weddings in Galilee. Uh, I'm trying to remember the I, the name of the movie. I believe is Before the Wrath. I think that is the name of the movie. I'd have to go back and look. Maybe Don could look that up real quick. Just Google Before the Wrath, the movie, and it tells the the. Uh, the reality of what took place at uh, weddings in Galilee. They were a little bit unique among the Jewish weddings in, in certain measure because the only person that knew when the wedding would be taking place uh, was the father of the groom. No, not the father of the bride, the father of the groom. Uh, and what had to happen is that the bride had to be ready uh, her the the, bra uh, the the maid servants uh, had to be uh, ready. Those the bridesmaids had to be ready because no one knew at just exactly what hour the uh, the wedding was going to take place. Uh, the father of the groom would determine when it would take place, and the announcement would be made. Often it was at night, uh, and. Uh, uh, there's, there's significance to this, but often the, these weddings in Cana of Galilee would be at night, uh, and uh, a, a message would be given, uh, a trumpet would be blown, uh, and people would come running uh, to participate in the wedding of the bride and the groom. And this is likely the case. Uh, Jesus and his disciples probably uh, had been invited and been told whenever the wedding takes place, you're all invited. Again, it, it, there was was there was not an RSVP. Again, there was not a uh, uh, you know something sent out uh, telling people this will be the date, this will be the time, this will be the location. Uh, no. Now, there what tended to happen was, especially in the area of Galilee, the whole town would come out. Um, Everybody would come out. There would be this this evening stir, and the wedding would take place uh, in the evening. And at the at the time determined by the groom's father, 
and people needed to be ready. The bridesmaids needed to be ready. Now, the bridesmaids weren't all huddled together waiting for um, waiting for uh, the wedding to take place. They were probably in their own homes. But, but uh, knowing that the announcement had been made that a marriage would take place, they kind of needed to stand ready. I mean, it wasn't that that it was like a, a shotgun wedding. It wasn't like it was a uh, a surprise that oh, we didn't know you were engaged type thing. Everybody knew they were engaged. Everybody knew that at some point in time, the the, the bridegroom would come uh, at the time determined by the father. And so they had to keep their, their, their wicks burning. They needed to keep the oil in their lamps because when the announcement was made, the bridegrooms had to go out and join with the bride and and the wedding would take place, and, and then the celebration would take place. So all of this is kind of background to, to this wedding taking place in Cana, uh, at Cana in Galilee. Uh, so the announcement has been made. The bride, the groom and the bride have, have come. They have been married. Uh, there's an, one other tradition that would take place among Jewish weddings was uh, before the, the the celebration would commence, the, the people would go to, if you, if you will, the banquet hall, uh, and before the the celebration would commence, the bride and groom uh, actually had to uh, go off and uh, consummate the, the 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 wedding. What we do is we marry people and have a celebration, and then send them off to their honeymoon. Well, what the bride and groom had to do. Uh, because what what makes a wedding official is it the is it the ceremony uh, is it the government uh, or uh, is it the consummate act and in, in the view of God it was the consummate act so they would go out and consummate their their marriage and, and another little known fact is that the uh, uh, the best man would stand outside the door of the uh, of where the the couple went, usually to their home, uh, the home that that had been prepared for the uh, the bride by her groom, and, and most likely by the father and the groom made this house. In fact, here's another illustration for you. You know, in John 14, where it says, "In my Father's house are many rooms." There's the idea that there are lots of sons and lots of daughters, and and in those days they tended to build an addition on to the parents' home, uh, and, and they lived together in, in that kind of communal sense. Now, to us, that sounds so foreign, but in their days, those are the types of things uh, that they did. So the bride and groom would go into their home. They would consummate the wedding, the uh, consummate the marriage, and uh, the 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 uh, groom would say to the best man, uh, we are now married. And then the best man would go and make the announcement to the wedding party, uh, and the party would begin. So all that is background, all that stuff that that uh, you can go watch the movie. Don has put the link here in the, uh, uh, in the comments. Uh, I would encourage you to go watch. It's a very fascinating movie. You can go and watch it, and so many parallels that take place in in this wedding at Cana in Galilee, and also um, the return of Christ. So many, very, very, 
very fascinating uh, uh, parallels that take place there that uh, the insights that, that we can gain from uh, the insights that we can gain are pretty fascinating. Sorry, I'm trying to make a little adjustment here as I'm talking. Um, the, the the parallel between the, the wedding at Cana and then the coming of Christ, the return of Christ. And and I, I have not yet quite figured out the wine aspect and, and the making of more wine uh, other than the, maybe an analogy to uh, the Gentiles being brought into the fold. That could be another analogy that you might see here in the wedding feast at Cana of Galilee. Hey, grab that cup of coffee real fast. I'm a little raspy this morning. Let's take a little morning drink of our coffee. Uh, you might have been doing that all along. I'm going to pause for a second, but let's just uh, fellowship together with a little sip of coffee or tea or chocolate milk or whatever you might have. Yum, yum, yum. Coffee. Tasty. Very tasty. But let's go back into the text, and, and we'll, we'll pick up reading. I just, I, I've given you all this background so that you can understand some of maybe what was happening and some of the illustration connective between, it, it, I talked about the uh, necessity of the uh, bridesmaids all having their um, Having their lamps ready, you can read about that. You go back to Matthew chapter twenty-five, and it talks about how these these bridesmaids were to have their lamps ready. Uh, people needed to be ready for the wedding, and, and the illustration there to us is that are we ready for the return of Christ? He can come at any hour. He can come at any time, and the only one who knows when when he will be sent, the only one who knows. The hour of the the marriage between the groom and the bride, the groom being Jesus and the bride being the church. There's another reason why we should love the church, because the the church is the bride of Christ. We make it a, a, about a whole bunch of individuals, uh, but really the, the whole church is the bride of Christ. Um, so the bride, the groom come together. Uh, and this is the illustration that we see here uh, at the weddings in Cana of Galilee, particularly in the Galilean region, the way that these weddings would take place. And it was only the Father who knew. Only the Lord, only God the Father knows the hour when Christ will return. That is what we are told in the book of Acts. Only the Father knows. Um, uh, so... Uh, and, and Don making a note here for us, I uh, he just discovered that the movie uh, Before the Wrath is the title of the movie is available on Pure Flicks. If you have Pure Flicks, uh, and that is P U R E F L I X, Pure Flicks, uh, you can go and uh, find the movie there uh, and watch the movie on on pure flicks as well. But then there's also the title up above that Don has given, or you could, you could Google it yourself before the wrath and uh, watch it on whatever your method of watching those types of movies might be before the wrath. Really? I, I don't know if it's a, if it's a great title or not, but it's very, very insightful as to the, 
the nature of uh, the weddings that took place in Cana of Galilee. All these things, all this background, all of it really painting the picture for us, being ready for Christ, being ready for the return of Christ, being ready for um, uh, the Father to send him to this earth. Are you ready for the return of Christ? That's the question. If the rapture were to happen today, now I I, I know there are people that would say, well, I, I don't necessarily believe in the rapture, and they believe in the Bible, but they don't read the rapture maybe as I might read the rapture. Good friends, dear people, I believe uh, that, that when the return of Christ happens, that's like lights out time. It's like uh, the new heavens and new earth will be created, and, and and that'll be the day of judgment and whatnot. And they don't believe in the, uh, the, the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ as I do. There are people who hold that. They're called, called amillennialists, in other words, uh, against millennium, and uh, they don't believe in that. Whether you believe in that or don't believe in that, if from a Christian vantage point, there there are non-Christians who don't believe in any of it, but whichever view you have, the the necessity of being ready for the return of Christ still holds true. Whether he's coming to rapture the church out of this world or whether he is coming to um or whether he is coming to uh bring a final judgment, whichever view, you, we need to be ready. I mean, there's another view there. Uh, many believe in, in what is called the pre-tribulational rapture of the church. Uh, that's the view I hold, that before the, the actual tribulation begins, the church is taken out. Uh, there are those who hold to a later view, uh, that, that uh, the church won't be taken out uh, uh, until partway through or at the end of the tribulational period. Uh all of that, I don't want to confuse you. There are varying views, but the the mandate, the warning um, to be ready holds true regardless of the position that you take. We need to be ready. We need to treat Christ as he is real every day. Uh, we, we need to be, be ready for his return every single day. We need to be preparing our, our hearts. Now, I mean, making the cut of the rapture is not a case of, you know, are you uh, are you living morally right? I mean, we should be, if we're Christians, trying to live like Christ, and which means to live with righteousness and just, uh, uh, justice and fairness um, as God would be fair. Uh, and with compassion and with mercy and with grace as the Lord would give us to live with those things, uh, what makes the cut of the rapture or what makes the cut of heaven is what you have done with Christ. Uh, salvation comes by faith through grace alone. God is not looking at you and going, well, that's a good person uh, because God can find something sinful, smelly, in any of us. Uh, it's like a baby's diaper. The baby's diaper doesn't need to be filled right up and overflowing with cuck for it to be stinky. No. It only takes a little bit to make it a stinky diaper, and it's the same way in our lives. It only takes that little bit of sin 
um, to, to make us unfit for heaven. The only thing that makes us fit for heaven is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, is acknowledging him as our Savior, acknowledging him as our Lord, determining that we will follow after him, uh, confessing to him that we are sinful in need of his grace and mercy and uh, that we are sinful in need of his forgiveness and cleansing. When, when we acknowledge those things, then we become children of God fit for heaven. Don't you think for a second that going to church is going to get you to heaven? Don't you think for a second that being a good person is going to get you to heaven? Don't think any of those things at all um, will get you to heaven. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't pursue those things, but what I am saying is this, and what the Bible teaches is the only thing that fits a person for heaven is faith in Christ. Now, if you have faith in Christ, or you think you have faith in Christ, and you're uh, you're really not uh, living for Christ, uh, really not trying to walk with Christ, then, then I want to suggest to you that uh, uh, you may not be as fit as what you think you are, and you need to uh, examine because a legitimate faith will uh, will change the, the nature of one's character. A legitimate faith will change the nature. Uh, of one's conduct, a legitimate faith will will change the nature of one's works and one's values and one's priorities and and all of these things. Uh, if 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 the faith that you have uh, doesn't make you more like Christ, then then maybe the faith that you think you have really isn't faith. It, it's just a good vibe or a good thought or something like that. Saving faith is transforming faith. Saving faith is value-altering faith. Saving faith is a faith that that sets you on the direction of your life. Now, I, I, I want to move. I want to move more deeply into this text. We haven't moved very far. We're in John chapter two. Uh, all of that came out of the, the idea of, of what is behind this uh, wedding taking place at Cana in Galilee. Uh, and I just want to encourage you, uh, again, that movie, Before the Wrath, is the title of the movie. Uh, wrath, W-R-A-T-H, not Before the Rap. Uh, no, sorry about that. I lost control for a second. Uh, not Before um, the Rat, like, you know, mice, Before the Wrath, T-H, at the end. Fantastic, insightful movie. I, I, I commend it to you. Let's go back into the text here and go a little bit further. On the third day, a wedding took place uh, at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. Now, now Mary knew who Jesus was. Uh, Mary knew of Jesus' abilities. Jesus knew, now perhaps up to this time he hasn't done a miracle. We don't really know prior to this time whether he had done any miracle or not. Now we we call this the first miracle. It's, at least it's the first public miracle uh, that Jesus has done. We don't know. Did, did he do something 
special if they were out playing football did, did he have a miracle where the ball would stop midair and drop down into his hands we, we don't know those things necessarily likely those things didn't happen but his mother knew his ability his mother knew how he could change things his mother knew that that he could do something about the situation and that's why we read these words that we read in uh, verses uh, two and three. Now notice, it doesn't say that Jesus said, okay, okay, ma, okay. It doesn't say that he said, okay, ma, it just my, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. Now, the time of his revelation, maybe she's thinking, hey, this is a great time for us. There's a big crowd here. Maybe we should make the announcement that you you are Jesus the king. And, and he's saying, my time isn't quite yet ready for that. And, and it would take him a few more years, actually, before uh, some of this revelation would begin, um, 18 months, perhaps, 18, 18 to 21 months, uh, likely, uh, before some of this will take place. But in verse 5, his mother says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And it says, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing. Now, these were these were washing jars. These were not uh, necessarily jars that were put there uh, for, for drinking. I mean, it'd be like, okay, this is a, a hand-washing sink in a um, in a kitchen or a house. It's only to be used for that purpose. And... Uh, these jars were to be made for that purpose, and they were set aside for that purpose. And it talks about, verse 6, the kinds used for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. So that gives you an idea of how big, uh, if you think about like a 30-gallon tr uh, tr trash can, that size of a trash can, uh, or a 33-gallon uh, size trash can, that's about the size of these uh of these jars. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. He then told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, uh, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glories, and his disciples put their faith in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his brother, uh, mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. So we're going to stop the reading at that point. We see Jesus turning the water to wine. I mean, there's many uh, illustrations here. One is what, what was the purpose of, of the jars? The purpose of the jars was common, everyday, ordinary jars that, that were I say common every day they, they were they were for ceremonial purposes but they were for hand washing uh, they they weren't uh, necessarily in the kitchen uh, put aside you know to put water into I, I put water in my coffee maker I have a little um, 
pure water pitcher that you pour, put the water in and it filters the water and gets out anything. And then I put that in my coffee maker. It wasn't one of those. It wasn't set aside for those purposes. It would be like, okay, here's, here is the, uh, uh, the, the little dish basin that we use to do dishes in and, and using that to put water in your coffee maker instead. I mean, th that's the type of jars. Jesus is able to take that which is common, everyday, ordinary, uh, maybe for ceremonial purposes, and, and he is able to retrofit it. He is able to utilize it. He is able to use it for, for miraculous purposes. He is able to use it for uh, purposes that, that enhance the life of the party. Uh, he is able to take our everyday, ordinary, common lives and do miraculous and wonderful things in them and through them. That, that is one illustration that we see here in John chapter 2 as we look at these jars of clay, these stone water jars, which held 20 to 30 gallons. The next thing is, he, what were they filled with? They were filled with water. What came out of them? Wine. Wine came out. Jesus is able to this just shows his ability. He is able to transcend time. He is able to transcend the elements. Uh, H2O was put into those jars. Just every day variety of water was put into those jars. It was changed from H2O into another element. It was changed from H2O into wine. And, and I don't know what the, uh, it'd be fun to find out what is the uh, the, the elemental uh uh, mixture uh, to make wine. I mean, what what elements are in, like the sugar of, of the grape, and you know what what would that element? I can't think of what that title would be when you put a bunch of elements together to come up with with something else. Uh, but but you know he took H two O and and he turned it miraculously into wine. He has power over nature. He has power over the elements. He has power over the atoms. He had power to take the water and turn it into wine. It speaks to his power. What else is required? Well, you'd think, okay, well, he'll turn water to grape juice. Well, it takes time to make wine. In fact, it takes much time to make good wine. You know, I, I'm not a wine connoisseur at all, but when you think about wine, uh, the good wine, they'll, they'll find something that's aged quite a while in just the right lighting and right temperature and right conditions, that bottle of wine that has been held, uh, and they, they pull it out and they go, this is such and such a wine from such and such a year. It should be a really, really good wine. It makes it a very expensive wine. That, well, we know that, that in this instance, because of what the master of the ceremony said, he took the best of wine and turned it, uh, 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 he took ordinary water and turned it into the very best of the wine. Consider what it says here in the text. John 2, 8, he said to them, now draw, uh, draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned to wine. He didn't know that. He just knew he was getting some wine. They, 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 he might not have even known they were running out of wine. But someone gave him a wine. He didn't realize where to come from. It says in verse 9, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, 
In fact, they, they drew the water, but when they drew out of the water, it wasn't water, it was wine. He called the bridegroom aside and said, uh, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, after they don't care so much about how good the wine is, but you save the best until now. I mean, Jesus is able to take that which is ordinary and make it extraordinary. Jesus is able to do that into in our lives as well. Just the illustration. I mean, when, when he when he transforms us, he transforms us into the very best. He transforms us in, into that which is choice. Uh, if you want to take the analogy of taking the ordinary water and uh, transforming it into extraordinary wine. He takes ordinary you and me and, and transforms us into something extraordinary for his honor and for his glory. Now, much more could be said about the wine here. Uh, uh, there are some who want to talk about this being, you know, it's a better, it, it, you know, uh, usually they, they'll serve the, the really good grape juice at the beginning of the uh, of the party. And then they'll bring out the Kool-Aid toward the end once once people don't care so much about what they have, you know, the grape-flavored Kool-Aid. No, this isn't what's going on here, folks. I'm sorry. The, the, the text, the context, the culture bears witness to the fact that, that uh, we're talking about wine here. Uh, Jesus had to supernaturally supersede uh, the elements to, to make uh, wine from water. Uh, he had to supersede time because it takes time to make good wine. It takes time. It has to ferment. Uh, all the context bears witness to the fact that we are talking about bona fide, legitimate wine here. I hear people try to make arguments, well, they, they didn't have wine like we have wine in our day. Oh, yes, they did. They did not have the preserving capabilities that we have in our day. Uh I, I, I want to suggest that it's just flipped over from the argument that is currently given. It was wine. Now, I, I could say more about this, more about the wine. Uh, it, it's just the fact that in their culture, in that day, wine was a part of the party. Wine was a part of the celebration. And, and the very nature of where it says in verse 10, after the guests have had too much to drink, uh, just the idea that Either their bellies are full or maybe they're feeling kind of good. You, you could take that either way that you want, but no, they brought out the best at last. Look at the blessing that Jesus brought to this wedding party, to this celebration. Jesus brought the best wine. And if we, if we want to liken wine to the Holy Spirit, uh, Jesus pours into us the wine of the Holy Spirit. We have the very, very best right now. There's, there's also that that can be illustrated here out of this passage. Jesus does the first miracle, and we notice what it says down in verse 11. This is the first of his miraculous signs, which Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. I mean, they were watching. They were watching what Jesus did. They were watching what Jesus had said to those uh, to those servants. Uh, they're watching uh, how this this wine, uh, this water is turned to wine. Uh, they're hearing what the the master of the banquet is saying, uh, and they're they're standing there in utter awe of Jesus. And now in his revelation of his glory. 
uh, of his nature, of his character, of his abilities, it says in verse 11, and his disciples put their faith in him. What I want to ask you is, what about you? Have you put your faith in Jesus? Are you trusting in Jesus as your Savior? Are you trusting in Jesus as your Lord? Are you looking for what Jesus can do in your life? He is a phenomenal Savior. Uh, He has now called his followers. He's demonstrated to his followers that that, I mean, yeah, he was baptized by John and, and some of that news travel, but now he's done his first miraculous act publicly that uh, at least his, the, the, the disciples knew what had happened. His mother knew what had happened. Maybe some of those servants knew that Jesus had said to put uh, water into those uh, clay jars, um, but now he's revealed that he is, in fact, the Son of God. Do you believe it? Are, are you trusting in Jesus today? I hope that you are. I hope that you're, you're wanting him to make the party in your life as well. So uh, follow him. Trust him. Believe in him. Be in awe of him today. Lord, help us today to follow after you. Help us today to trust in you. If somebody is listening that has never trusted in Christ, cause them to trust in Christ today. And then, Lord, help us to celebrate all that the Son of God can do in our lives, even as they celebrated at this phenomenal wedding feast at Cana in Galilee. And, Lord, even as we learn about the the feast, the wedding feast, may we as well be ready. For the announcement of the bridegroom is coming. Prepare our hearts, we pray. Prepare our lives. Prepare our faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, that's a wrap for today. Have a great day, everyone. I will see you again tomorrow.